Welcome to QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. It's going to be a great meeting. It's going to be shorter lectures, more discussion. In fact, I think about 47% of the total time is devoted to discussion, Q&A, polling, where you have a voice at this meeting. Yeah, it's a meeting of big shots and big topics. Be there. Today's case is enough is enough. Or maybe it should be when is enough enough. I presented this case last week at a medical meeting and I began with just a listing of the past medical history of this 71-year-old white female who has rheumatoid arthritis. The past medical history has 68 diagnoses and entries and past problems. Most of them are currently inactive, you know, past problems like a neuroma, a colon resection, low back pain, a MAC infection, a shingles infection, two dog bites, polyneuropathy, hemoptysis, two shoulder surgeries. You get the picture. It's complicated. And, you know, she's done this over the last 71 years, acquired all this history and she has rheumatoid arthritis, and you're going to take care of it. Who is she? She's a seropositive, CCP-positive, rheumatoid factor-positive RA patient who has also on the table bronchiectasis, fibromyalgia, MRSA, past history of atypical mycobacterial infection. You know you never get rid of that. Recurrent pneumonias, DVTs, vertebral fractures from osteoporosis, and two past shoulder surgeries for rotator cuff. She's currently taking... 5 milligrams of prednisone, Zelgance once a day, um, Plaquenil, Mobix, Cymbalta, Xanaflex, and Gabapentin. Again, her diagnosis is RA, established by having chronic polyarthritis with synovitis of multiple joints. She's had nodules, she's seropositive, and she's had elevated CRPs in the past. Previously, she was treated with gold. Yes, she goes that far back. Prednisone, methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, sulfazalazine, etanercept, leflunamide, remicade, azathioprine, and rituximab. She's currently, as we said, taking what? Zelgans and hydroxychloroquine and a non-steroidal and prednisone. She's not yet been treated with anakinra, abatacept, any of the two IL-6 inhibitors, cyclosporin, or a cytotoxic like cytoxan nor MMF. I'm giving you options because now I'm going to tell you the patient has pain. She has back pain. She has knee pain. She has pain in her hands. She says she's not doing well on this current regimen, has not been doing well for the last six months. We didn't make much changes at the last visit. Are we going to make any changes today? She has multiple deformities, swan neck, boutonnieres, ulnar drift, some contractures. She does have some bogginess around the knee and maybe an MCP2. She has 10, no, 11 tender joints today. Swollen joints are maybe two. Hard to tell if it's really swollen when it's this deformed, this chronic, and this kind of boggy. Um, her CDI score and gas score is 24. Uh, most of that is pain uh, rather than and TJC. Um, and she does have tender points, meaning her fibromyalgia is never well controlled and she doesn't sleep well and doesn't want to do anything for her sleep. So what will you do? Um, 
she's been on a plethora of disease-modifying drugs. Do you try another one? Do you switch to another MOA? Do you go up to high dose tofacitinib, a dose you're not allowed to use, 10-BID? That's a dose that gives you more VTEs and maybe more of those ugly things we talked about in the last few months. Do you switch non-steroidals? Do you up her prednisone? Do you add in a third DMARD? You know, again, there's not much she hasn't already tried. What hasn't she tried? Again, Anakinra, Abitacept, Actemra, or Kevzara, Cyclophosphamide, Cyclosporin. When I presented this case to a bunch of colleagues, they were all over the map, as you probably are too. Meaning, do I try yet one more MOA? Do I go to IL-6? She hasn't received IL-6. She hasn't received abatacitib. Maybe it's worth a try. Or do I just give up? Again, patients who have long-standing chronic disease with deformities, it gets to a point where it's hard to tell if, in fact, they do have synovitis. So your options are maybe go with a better imaging tool. The problem is... Not all synovitis detected by MR or by ultrasound is meaningful. In fact, it's got a sensitivity that's actually too high. Um, and, and that's been really well proven. So, But if there's an abundance of synovitis, maybe you should treat it. I tend to think that while I'm doubting the accuracy and validity of my swollen joint cam, and believe me, I'm good at this, um, I think the thing I hang my hat on most is inflammatory markers. If CRP and SED rate are up or there's other laboratory evidence of inflammation, hypoalbuminemia, anemia, chronic disease, um, um, thrombocytosis, I'm probably likely going to switch my DMARD, my biologic, my targeted synthetic to another biologic, another MOA. If not... I'm saying enough is enough, and my job is to ask her what her goals are as far as treatment. She really, at this visit, wanted me to pay more attention to her back pain and its management. And so that involved physical therapy, pool therapy, things she actually probably will do. Um, and then maybe working on pain management without resorting to narcotics. But again, many rheumatologists would say you have to go through the full lineup um, of other MOAs to know that you really can't do anymore, meaning she needs an IL-6 inhibitor trial. She needs a trial of an IL-1 inhibitor. Maybe she needs a, a trial of um, abatacept as well. And you do each of those for what? Eight to 12 weeks before you decide go, no go? Again, these are hard decisions to make. I'm actually at the point of saying enough is enough. There is a point when you don't have to use the next DMARD when she's already received nine DMARDs. You're, again, there's a diminishing return on DMARD efficacy as you go down the list. And what also goes up as you go down the list and you've been on multiple DMARDs is the risk of toxicity and the risk of infection. So again, very tough case. There is no right answer. If you see me, tell me what you think. Come to Room Now Live and tell me what you think. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush, Executive Editor of Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live, where great rheumatologists like us go to great meetings like this. Go to roomnow.live to register. Today's case, 
myeloma with swollen joints. Uh-oh. Yeah, kind of complicated again. 70-year-old uh, African-American male with a history of multiple myeloma, multiple myeloma currently under treatment. He's had previously hypercalcemia, neuropathy. Um, he's had arthritis in his hands and, uh, and knees. And in fact, he shows up with DJD changes in his hands. But now he comes in as referred by the oncologist because of his knee, specifically his left knee more so than his right. But he says... Both are a problem, and he wants a steroid injection in the left one because he was given that in the past, and it worked pretty well. Uh, he does get episodic uh, courses of therapy for his multiple myeloma with Revlimid, uh, Velcade, and Decadron intermittently. He's on Neurontin for his neuropathy. He has some renal insufficiency with a creatinine about 1.8, a chronic anemia, and he has lost a lot of weight with all of this. He previously had carpal tunnel syndrome, Prior to having the neuropathy, now he's got a sensory neuropathy. Uh, on exam, he's got a big left knee effusion, small right knee effusion, and contractures in his hands, along with DIPPIP um, osteoarthritis. His hematocrit's 33, his sed rate and CRP are, actually sed rate's 12 and note low. His CRP is a little elevated at 3.6 milligrams per deciliter. Uric acid's normal. He is seronegative for rheumatoid factor and CCP. On exam, he has eight tender joints. Uh, both knees are swollen. As I said, the left one greater than the right. His CDI is 17. He has no nodules or, or, um, or other skin findings uh, of any kind. He has Again, he has no history of gout, no history of other um, disorders. Um, and the question is, what would you do? Um, so... When I presented this with um, a group of rheumatologists recently, um, most were not interested in further laboratory testing. Most were uh, interested in getting a joint aspirate. So this is, since this was a new finding and he had a big knee effusion without a diagnosis, and that's what we did. We aspirated the joint and got back blood, a bloody effusion. Again, um, a lot of red cells, not that many white cells, um, no crystals seen when sent for synovial fluid analysis. X-rays of the knees showed pretty advanced osteoarthritis. Um, and the question is, what else would you do? In this case, we actually did an MRI because we were considering uh, bloody effusion. You're looking at either uh, mechanical derangement, torn intraarticular structures like a cruciate, um, but more likely, elderly male like this, pigmented villanodular synovitis gives you bloody effusions. Sure enough, on MRI, he did have uh, evidence of iron deposition within the synovium. What you get on a T2-weighted image is because it's iron, it shows up as black. Um, and, uh, and, a, and a fair amount, a lot in the left knee, a little bit in the right knee. So is the right knee also responsible? Well, it's hard to know because usually PVNS, pigmented villanodular synovitis, also called uh, benign tenosynovial giant cell tumor, TGCT in the orthopedic literature, it's usually a monarticular problem, uh, usually knees. Uh, it can often be a nodular swelling over the hand or over a single joint like a PIP. It is a benign 
synovial or tenosynovial uh, neoplasm. Um, it's very, very slow going, growing. It doesn't really go anywhere. Some of them may require surgery, mainly because of uh, continued symptoms or the bulkiness of the knee. Uh, they can be surgically excised and recurrence is common. So your orthopedist generally don't want to jump right in and, and do surgery on these cases. So again, you look for a T2MR as the diagnostic test or getting a synovial biopsy. You get, again, no signal or diminished signal in the areas where there is uh, PVNS um, um, uh, synovitis that has hot, heavy iron content. Uh, if, the, if you're looking for a clue, it could be from the bloody synovial fluid tap or from an abnormal MRI. The question is whether or not to surgically excise them. And this orthopedist felt that the, that there wasn't enough there uh, and he wasn't symptomatically restricted. He wanted us to manage it with aspiration and occasional steroids. And we were gonna follow the guy there. Actually, there is a, a, a newly approved, and there's some other therapies out there that have been tried as injectable therapies. There's a pexidartinib, um, pexidartinib is a uh, new colony stimulating factor one receptor um, targeted therapy that has been shown to be e efficacious. Um, small studies, this is viewed to be an orphan disease. Um, mixed results in the community since it's been approved. The other options that are out there aside from surgical excision uh, and this FDA approved therapy would be the use of radiation synovectomy or external beam radiation or very old therapies. I don't think anyone's doing that anymore. These cases are often best managed by the orthopedist, but if they're not doing surgery, they end up in your office because you're the rheumatologist and you take care of the things that no one else seems to know what to do. Again, um, congratulations on being a rheumatologist. We'll see you at Room Now Live. This is QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Cutie Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. It's like a sharp edge that cuts through the clutter, meaning that the interactivity, the insight and delivery of our faculty really kind of clarifies a lot of clinical issues for those of you who will attend either on-site in Dallas or uh, online. We'll see you at roomnow.live. Our case today is the hairdresser with a swollen joint. 31 year old woman, she's a hairdresser. She presents with um, swelling in both wrists and a left ankle. So not just one joint. She says she's tried taking a leave twice a day, but really has received no benefit. She has um, no past medical history, never been to the doctor and never been in the hospital. She's married, she's um, uh, a hairdresser. She's monogamous. She went to Mexico about three months ago on a two-week vacation. Nothing unusual happened there. Now she shows up with a few swollen joints in your office. She's got a temperature of 100. And her um, heart, lung, head, eyes, ears, nose, throat, all normal. No skin lesions. On a joint exam, she has synovitis clear synovitis um, in one wrist more than another and somewhat in the left ankle. There is no enthesopathy. There's no tenosynovitis. Um, there's no nail changes. Um, she has no scalp changes and no skin problems. 
Her white count is 9. Her set rate is 56. Her CRP is elevated 2.1 milligrams per deciliter. She has negative tests for rheumatoid factor, CCP, ANA, Hep C, and Hep B. And the question is, what further evaluations would you like to see? Um, when we asked, you know, a lot of people are asking a lot of things, including B27 and Lyme titers and UAs and uh, chest X-ray and um, Parvo B19. And you wouldn't do uric acid. This is a young woman. Um, gout's not a problem until you're a postmenopausal uh, woman. Um, the differential diagnosis, according to um, Cush and the Ruminology card, if you don't know what the Ruminology card is, go to ruminology.com. Um, on the top, click on RK card. It's a two-sided card. It's got lots of diagnostic information on there. It's like a peripheral brain that you carry around when you're a resident. Um, and the differential diagnosis of acute monarthritis and acute oligoarthritis is number one, gout. Number two, septic. Number three, viral. Number four, pseudogout. Number five, reactive arthritis. Those are the main considerations in acute. This is acute. Oligo or mono, oligos and mono differential diagnosis is the same. Poly is very different, right? Um, you could consider a fracture, bursitis, tendonitis. That doesn't apply here. What are the bugs that we could be looking at? GC, staph, strep, gram negatives, Lyme, TB, or viral, hep B, hep C, EBV, rubella, parvo B19. That kind of covers all the bases here. So what was done? What was done was a urine PCR and showed evidence that she had gonococcus. So she had no cervical symptoms. She had no urinary symptoms. She had no vaginal discharge. She had no skin symptoms and no sore throat. You had to suspect this on the basis of her being young and sexually active and unfortunately not monogamous because it turns out that she was the source of the infection and not the husband. And that, of course, would be a very sensitive discussion between you and your patient. So how can you distinguish between um, GC and um, uh, gonococcus? I'm sorry, GC and reactive arthritis? That would have been a strong uh, consideration here. Um, GC is more likely in women. Reactive arthritis more likely in men. Um, the GC... Duration is usually days, maybe a week, um, whereas reactive could be going on for weeks. Uh, sore throat is a little bit more common. It could be due to the GC uh, if oral sex was involved. Um, eye symptoms are much, much more common with reactive arthritis and not with um, gonococcal arthritis. Genital symptoms are more likely with reactive. Most people with gonococcal infections don't usually have genital symptoms, and it is actually more common in men than women. One of the telltale signs for me has always been tenosynovitis, uh, really very common uh, in GC and not so common in reactive arthritis, or the finding of a cutaneous pustule. You should look hard for those because they can be seen in, you know, uh, some minority and should not be seen in uh, minority GC and should not be seen in patients with um, reactive arthritis. Um, again, the clues are um, age here. She's young enough that you should consider GC in the differential diagnosis. Um, and it used to be the diagnosis was difficult because getting a GC to grow required prompt and quick collection and whatnot. But now with 
PCR, the nucleic acid specific tests, actually is much better um, and easier to make the diagnosis and with great accuracy, by the way. The differential diagnosis here, aside from disseminated gonococcal infection, could be endocarditis, osteomyelitis, and other um, diagnoses associated with the arthritis, dermatitis presentation. Neat case, um, and this was one of my partner's case, and she made the diagnosis right away because she was had her thinking hat on and she knows how to handle these things. Hope you found it interesting. We'll see you at Room Now Live. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by RoomNow.Live. Collectively, we're a whole lot smarter than we are individually. This is at the root and the drive behind the design of Room Now Live, where we put you and your peers to test. We want you to be involved with polling questions, cases coming from some of the best teachers that we have in rheumatology, and a lot of time for Q&A. This is how we all get smart together. Uh, our case today is undifferentiated arthritis, and what should I do when the rheumatoid factor is positive? So a 43-year-old man complains of arthralgias in his fingers for the last three months. The, the PCP sends you the patient uh, with some labs already done. The rheumatoid factor was a high positive 250, but a negative CCP. Um, the CBC was normal. The ANA was negative. Hep B, Hep C was negative. The set rate was 10. The CRP was uh, undetectable. Uric acid is normal. B27 is negative. Um, the patient has a history of arthritis, but he's not sure what kind because it was his grandmother and he never really met his grandmother. He himself has no discernible uh, important medical history, has never really been in the hospital for anything. Uh, currently not taking any medicines because it's just these fingers that are bothering him the most. And the question is, what should he do about it? And what are you going to do about it? So when you examine the patient, you really find nothing on an extensive physical exam. When you uh, press on joints, you find some tenderness over bilateral MCP1s, that thumb MCP. Both are tender. Hence, when he has grip problems or grip issues, that's when he's, he's reminded of his discomfort. So the question is, could he have RA with just those two thumbs involved? And when would you possibly consider starting him on a DMARD? He does not meet criteria for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you could follow him and treat him symptomatically. You could order extensive batteries of tests. I wouldn't order for any further testing on him at all. Uh, I would probably follow this gentleman. But the question is, what does it take for you to use a DMARD? Um, you know, there are growing number of studies right now that are appearing about treating patients with undifferentiated arthritis and what to do about it. We covered it in last week's um, podcast that you shouldn't do MR on a patient like this unless they ha are seronegative and have oligoarthritis. Because if they have seropositivity, especially CCP, they have a 20 to 60% chance of progressing to rheumatoid arthritis and just let the exam teach you what to do. Um, if they're seronegative, it's really very, very low risk of developing. Our patient has rheumatoid factor, but not CCP, so not quite as high a risk as you would with CCP. The other reason to do an MRI is not just uh, seronegativity, but also oligoarthritis. This guy has really a monoarthritis, maybe two thumbs that I, I consider a monoarthritis. Uh, I think if he had three, maybe four joints, then maybe an MR in the hands would show you something that would be useful. 
but generally, I don't think I would order it. Um, technically, he does have a lingual arthritis with two joints, though, right? Um, other things that we've learned uh, from the literature, the Prairie study, one single infusion given to at-risk individuals, that's a what we call that preclinical RA, first-degree relative with arthralgias, no synovitis, and maybe an elevated sed rate or CRP. That one infusion of rituximab did not prevent RA, but did forestall the onset of RA. So following patients out for three months, um, the, there was just overall less RA being developed. And, but over time, um, they got caught up, meaning it was 40% of people on placebo got RA and only 34% on rituximab with one infusion. And in the end, they all got together. If you had kept treating, maybe you would have kept it away. More recently, we talked about the ARIA study, A-R-I. AA, it's an abatacept intervention trial, six-month trial, placebo versus abatacept. And um, in 100 patients, they showed a lot less RA developing in the um, Orencia group compared to the placebo group. 35% of placebo group developed um, rheumatoid arthritis, only 8% in the abatacept group developed it. So you can show some benefit. The question is, does he have, first off, these, those studies were done in, in um, CCP positive patients with a little bit more um, as far as uh, symptomatology or findings. For instance, to get into these studies, you had to have an abnormal MR, but no swelling. Um, you had to have inflammation on MR. So um, when we discuss this with a large number of rheumatologists, um, most people are going to just treat this symptomatically and not use a DMARD-like hydroxychloroquine or methotrexate until you develop one or two or more swollen joints. That seems to be um, the prevent, meaning that you just treat what they have as opposed to, you know, why not give them methotrexate or ab- it's or abatacept it's or or hydroxychloroquine? It's safe. You can't get into trouble, and I'm going to follow them. The question is, if they never develop a disease, how will you know? It's a little bit like the thermos. That's a joke. Look up the thermos joke. Um, so for me, I would need to see probably two swollen joints or imaging evidence of tenosynovitis. You know, there's a lot of good literature, especially from Paul Emery and others, showing that tenosynovitis as a finding has high predictive value for future development of rheumatoid arthritis. And what would I use? I would start with methotrexate. Some people might start with hydroxychloroquine. But right now, we're waiting on some other trials. There's another one, big one coming out with abatacept called Aripa, and there's a very big one called StopRA using the intervention hydroxychloroquine. Um, Until such time we have stronger evidence, I think we're still going to be just treating these symptoms and not necessarily calling this a disease and jumping in with a DMART. Tune in for more QD Clinics.